0: Good uh, morning, everyone. Can everyone hear me all right? That sounds like it's on now. Brilliant. Thanks very much. So, just while I get ready, don't you want to open up to Mark chapter 2? So, turn on the Bible, open up the Bible if you still got it uh, in, a, in a book form. And Mark chapter 2 will be going from verse 18, which Zama is going to read in a, in a little bit. So, not just yet, Zama. Don't, don't, don't rush up. Um, and, uh, yeah, as Doug, as Doug said, I. I married a a British lady who's coming to the 10 o'clock, eight is far too early for us. Uh, And so we've been in the UK since 2018, and we just had our first son, Benjamin or Benji or Ben, whatever you want to call him, we don't really mind. And uh, so we're here for a year while Buffy's on maternity leave, and we're really excited to be back here at Parkhurst. It's a real joy for us to be back here. I'm sure many of you have had the experience of moving cities or moving countries, and it's a strange experience when you suddenly find yourself in a place that feels completely new. And and I thought that moving to England would be easy. So my dad is born and raised English, my cousins are all based there, it's only really my immediate family that are in South Africa. So I thought, I know know British people, I know British culture, it'll be easy. But turns out England is a super weird place. Like really, really strange. And one of the weirdest things about England is that it is full of places that sound nothing like the way that they're written. And I thought, I I went through a whole cultural journey trying to, you know, I was mispronouncing places left, right, and center. People are laughing at me. And also, people in England are really not ashamed to to mock a South African accent. They, They feel like, I don't know, maybe it's safe ground. I'm not sure why. But they're really, like my accent gets mocked all the time, especially when I'm saying things wrong. So I thought I would take you on a little journey as well of what it was like to, uh, to acclimatise to a new place. And, and I'm going to give you uh, four places that I mispronounced and see if you can do any better. So here's, here's the first one. Anybody want to try and say that word? Some, someone, nice, loudly and proudly. Come on, give it a go. Hunstanton. Hunstanton, you're wrong, okay? Anyone else want to give it a bash? Not Hunstanton? Hun- Hunsanton. Hunsanton. You're in the wrong city, my guy. Okay, keep trying, keep trying. Anyone else? No? No brave takers? It is pronounced Hunston. That's right, the tan is silent. Okay? Have you ever seen a word where there are three consecutive letters that you do not pronounce? Okay, there we go. That's my first one. Now, here's the second one. Now, now I know what you're thinking. I've seen this word. I know how to say it. Okay, you're like, I, I've seen this lady's in the Bible, so I know, I know how to say it. Anybody want to try and pronounce this? This is a college at Oxford and Cambridge, I think. Anybody want to pronounce this? Yeah. Trick, is it, it's not a trick question? Maudlin. Pete Cropman. Okay, <laughs> well, it is pronounced Maudlin, which again, a college is right at least. It's not like Maudlin Cole or something like that. So it is actually Maudlin College. But you think again, why bother with half the letters in that word if you're not going to say them? Now, this one we're going to level up. Number three. Now, this one is actually quite hard. Anyone, anyone want to try and say this one? Kirk Bright. <laughs> <laughs> Just a silent could. Very good, yeah, yeah, yeah. It worked for Hunston. Anybody want to go? I notice you're getting less brave every time we change words, OK? Anybody want to try? OK. Kirkubri. Of, of course. <laughs> okay, okay. And then my all-time favourite, here we go. Mausel, You're right, how did you know that? I don't know. Okay, so th- th- this really this really took it for me, that, that some English person at some point literally named a place Mousehole and then had the audacity to say, no, it's not Mousehole, it's actually Mousel. So there we go, those are some places I, I struggled with. But the, the weirdest thing about being in a culture you've never been in before is that if you're trying to do something different, so I'm there calling it Mousehole, I'm there saying Magdalen College, and people are looking at me like I'm the weird one. And you, you can fight it for a while. You can pretend you're still in South Africa and try to say things differently, but there comes a time when you actually just have to face the facts and say, well, I'm in a new place, so I guess I need to live in a new way. I'm in a, I'm in a new culture, I guess I need to, to act like I'm in a new culture. I can't keep living in this place that I'm, I'm not in anymore. And you know this experience. If you grew up in a rural area on a farm, you've now come to the city, you you can't live a farm lifestyle here, it doesn't work. You went to school and then you went to university after that, you can't have that same mindset that you had in high school and when you go to university or when you're in the workplace, it doesn't fly out there. If you're single and you got married, you know very well you can't pretend you're single anymore. Okay, if if you didn't have kids and now you've got kids, you know really, really, really well that you can't pretend you don't have kids, it doesn't work. When there are new times in your life, you have to live in new ways. And when when Jesus enters into your life, it is like that same radical transition. Like you've been plucked out of a place that you know, and you're put down into a totally new place. And when Jesus enters your life, staying exactly as you are isn't an option. Because when he's bringing newness to your life, he's going to ask you to hold it in a new way. And what we're going to get to in this passage is, is Jesus taking a simple question about fasting, which is appropriate, I didn't realise we were fasting on Tuesday, and he, uh, he uses it to bring about a totally new way of looking at Him, His mission, and what it means to follow Him. And we're going to look at it under, the, under three headings today. Jesus as the groom, us as the guests, and how to enjoy the wedding. So Zama, do you want to come up now and read Mark two, eighteen to 22 and let's follow along with her. Thanks Zama. God, we need you to open up the Word to us. It'll never be a person that does it, it'll always be your Holy Spirit. And so I just ask that you would, you would speak in power today, not me, and that we would leave marvelling at the, the beauty of Jesus. And we would know what it means to follow you in a, in a new and a fresh way because you are just giving us newness. We pray in your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen. So thanks for reading very much. So this passage starts with a, with a question. People are looking at Jesus and they're saying, okay, you, your guys don't fast. We've seen lots of religious leaders. We've got the Pharisees, we've got John the Baptist, and they all have disciples and they all fast, but you've got disciples, you're calling yourself a rabbi, but you guys aren't fasting. And they're thinking, what is what's so special about you? Because you guys are doing something different. When they look at the Pharisees, they're seeing people who are taking fasting incredibly seriously. At this time, Pharisees are likely fasting. The serious guys are doing twice a week at least. And they, and they are really m- milking the fasting. So they, you read this in uh, Matthew 6. Jesus talks against that sort of fasting. They're walking around in, in, in shabby clothes. They're putting ash on their heads. They're whitening their faces. And they're really like, oh, it's so hard. It's so hard to follow God. And they're really, they have this attitude that religion is best done when you least enjoy it. That you've got to show God how hard you're working for Him. Otherwise, He doesn't think your religion is serious. So that's what they have in mind with fasting. And then they look at Jesus and they look at his disciples and these guys aren't fasting. And they're like, what's so different about you guys? Because you're calling yourself a religious movement. You're calling yourself a rabbi, but you guys aren't doing the same thing. What is so special about you guys? And then Jesus does this amazing classic Jesus move where instead of answering them directly, he tells them a story. And so he says this in verse 19, can the wedding guests fast when the groom is with them? Can you fast at a wedding, is what he says to them. And as he's doing that, he's making a statement about who he is. He's making a statement about his identity. Now, how many of you have been to a wedding? Yeah? Good? Oh, good stuff. And I'm not talking about that older cousin wedding. You know, you know, that sort of wedding you go to as a kid and you're like, <laughs> smiling politely, you don't really know the couple, and you're like, this is nice to be here, but you're sort of dragged there on someone else's coattails. I'm not talking about that wedding. I'm talking about a wedding wedding. You know, when you, when you love the couple and the, when they kiss, you're just like, yes, it's brilliant. And you can't wait to hit the dance floor and there's too much food and the wine is great and you're just having a good time. Do you know that sort of wedding? If you haven't, I'm so sorry. It's a, an amazing thing to go to a wedding like that. And Jesus uses that image to describe what's happening when he's on earth. He's saying that celebration of love, that celebration of commitment and covenant, that's happening now. And more than that, The groom is is here in your midst. He's literally physically among you. The main man is here and the wedding is happening. And it's so significant that he calls himself the groom. Because in his audience are devout men and women who knew the Hebrew Scriptures. And so when Jesus is saying, hey, the groom is here, he's not just telling a story about a wedding. He's making a reference to numerous passages in the Old Testament where God, where Yahweh, with the one that delivers the people out of Israel, the one that gets them out from Babylon, with that God, says, I'm your husband and I'm your groom. It's a statement about his identity. And I'll give us just one of those references here. So Isaiah 54, verse five and six, it should be on the screen. God says, for your maker is your husband, the Lord. And when you see it like that, it means Yahweh of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth, he is called. For the Lord, Yahweh has called you like a wife, deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. So to be very, very clear, this is not just a story about a a wedding. He's making a claim. He's saying, I'm God. And in the imagination of these people who know the scriptures, he's going even beyond saying he's just the Messiah. He's saying, you know, Yahweh, that's me. He's putting himself into God's place in the scriptures and saying, the groom is here. So he's calling himself God and he's likening his time on earth to a wedding, which is why he then asks the question, isn't it ridiculous to fast at a wedding? Can you, you've been to weddings. Can you imagine sitting next to someone at a wedding and you're like, oh, would you like? And they're like, oh no, I'm fine. You know, <laughs> I'm fine. Like, oh, go, go, go to something else. You're in the wrong place if you're fasting. So Jesus is saying, while I'm here, While the groom is here, while I'm physically present and my kingdom is happening around you like a joyful wedding party, it's totally inappropriate to fast. And if you don't, and if you are fasting, it means you haven't understood who Jesus is at the time. So he's looking at the Pharisees and saying, you're fasting because you don't understand that God's here. That's why the other guys fast because they're not following God. (laughs) But if you're following me, you don't fast now. And now some of you are thinking, ah, it's a Tuesday, I don't have to fast. <laughs> the rest of the passage goes on to say, uh, there will come a time to fast when he's taken from them. And that's a reference to his death. And so we, we, we should fast now. It's a, it's a really good practice. Uh, I've heard it described as uh, the focused feast of the soul. To, to abstain from, from food, to give yourself to, to God in prayer. It's a really, really good thing. And so it's a unique time in Jesus' ministry when he's saying, hey, you don't fast now. So please fast and pray on Tuesday. Uh, But when the kingdom is is unfolding in the flesh with Jesus there, he's saying, now it's not the time to fast because God is here with you. So that's the first thing he's doing. He's answering their question by explaining a bit about who he is and what he's like. And then the next thing, he talks about the guests at the wedding. And again, verse 19, he describes the people around him as wedding guests. And I think it's, it's really important to bear in mind that he's not yet talking about the disciples. He's not yet talking about the 12, because he hasn't called the 12 yet. So look, look in chapter 3, verse 13. That's when he goes up into the mountain, he prays, and he calls the 12. So he's not talking about the elite group. He's not talking about those, those guys, oh, the hot shots, the 12, you know, the apostles. He's talking about anyone around him who's like all these people who are sort of, who sort of are cottoning on to who I am, mostly clueless. These guys are wedding guests. And if you, if you look at who those people are, it's so encouraging to us. And I I need you to hear this today, that you are invited to this wedding. You are invited to this wedding. Every one of you is invited to this wedding because look who he's calling wedding guests. If you look at the previous chapters we've looked at. It's people with unclean spirits. It's people who are sick. It's people who are isolated because of their shame. It's people who are isolated because of their disease. It's people who are paralyzed. It's people with hope. It's people who are hopeless. It's people with a lot of faith. It's people with limited faith. It's people who are following Jesus for all the wrong reasons. And he looks at these guys and he says, you're invited to this wedding. You're the guests of the groom." And in fact, uh, what, what amazed me about this passage this week is, is look what comes just before it. It's, it cannot be a coincidence that, that Mark, under the Holy Spirit's guidance, has put this passage directly under the passage where Jesus is feasting with tax collectors and sinners. The, the worst of the worst in society. He's just been partying with those guys and then he says, now nah, these guys are guests at the groom's wedding. So you are invited to that wedding. You are invited to that wedding. And what is amazing about Jesus is you are never invited because of what you've done. You're never invited because you're dressed right, because you RSVP'd on time, because you're friends with the right people. You are invited because God is gracious. You're invited because Jesus said, I love the world enough. I will come to earth. I will carry their sins. You are invited because of Jesus. You're invited without reference to you. So if you feel shame about who you are, if you feel that you, you, you think, I'm, I'm, just not, I'm just not good enough for God and he could, he could never love me, hear that Jesus wants to cover you with His love. Hear that Jesus wants to give you whole new clothes a whole new identity, a whole new way of understanding yourself in light of God's love and His grace for you. If you've got shame, He wants to cover that. And if, you've, if you've got fear, He wants to destroy that. If you feel crippled by anxiety, you feel crippled by a fear of death and, and depression, God loves you and He's, and He's given us a Son who is victorious over death. Victorious over everything that could make us Fearful. And he's saying, if you've got that fear, I want to defeat that. I have defeated that. I will defeat it again. And if you feel like you've got sin in your life, if you feel like there's, just, there's this distance between God and I that I could never, ever uh, bring closer, that I've just, I, just, I just always get it wrong, you're probably right. <laughs> but Jesus says, I love you. And I'll be the one that carries that sin. I'll be the one that takes that to the cross. I'll be the one that takes the punishment that you deserve for that so that you get to have a relationship with God. If you've got sin, so if you've got, yeah, if you need forgiveness, if you've got fear or you've got shame, Jesus is the answer to that and he is inviting you to this wedding not because of what you've done. Look at these words from Titus chapter three. It'll be on the screen again. Verses four and five, it says, when God our savior appeared as I revealed his kindness, sorry, and love. He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Please, please hear that. If you think that you are following Jesus because you did the right thing, we think that, I mean, I want to be a Christian, but I think I just got to clean up my act first. You're not following Jesus. Jesus comes and he rescues you because of his work, not because of your work. And that means that We get the most possible joy from this situation. That God, out of His grace, is the one rescuing us. Not because of the righteous things we've done, but because of His mercy. So please, if you're doubting this for a second, hear this. For the first time or for the hundredth time, you are invited to this wedding. And another thing under this here is joy is central to following Jesus. Joy is right at the heart of following God. Why did Jesus pick a wedding image? Of all the images to pick when, he, when, when they asked him this question, he picks possibly for the people listening at the time, the most joyful week of their lives. Now, when we think of a wedding, we think probably uh, you know, it's a cultural celebration of some sort. And then maybe most likely there's a honeymoon. So you, you go away if you can afford it and you go for a week or two and you just, you leave the party and you go. Culture at the time, no such thing as a honeymoon real tough times okay no such thing as a honeymoon so they would have the celebration but it would go on for a week okay so you would go home and people would just come to your house in and out for a week and some of you're like oh no i'll take a honeymoon please Uh, but people it was it was the highlight of most of these people's lives these are people living really hard lives in the middle of agricultural israel palestine these are not city slickers most of these people these people who have had hard lives of manual labor. And so when they have this week of celebration, this is the high point of most of their lives. Historians even reckon that the bride and groom used to wear crowns for the whole week and they were just waited on hand and foot. See, now the honeymoon doesn't sound so good. For a week, people are just serving you and, and they're feasting and it's a party for a week. And Jesus says, that, that's what it means to be around me. He picks the most joyous moment of their lives and says that's what it means to follow Jesus. And so for us, guys, following Jesus should be characterized by wedding joy. And if you're under the impression that that following God robs you of joy, I love you, but you are so wrong. If you think that following Jesus means that you miss out on full life and what it is, you just couldn't be further from the truth. Look at how Jesus describes following him. Let's put up a verse here from Matthew 13, verse 44. He's describing coming into the kingdom. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys the field. It's not second place. It's not second prize. <laughs> when you stumble upon Jesus in his grace, it's like you got rich. Not that you got robbed. He says, it's a joy. And it's not, you don't, no one sells all they have begrudging. He's like, I've got to get this thing that's in the ground that I stumbled upon. I've got to have it out of joy. That's how we start our faith. Joy in Jesus. And I should have said this a little while ago, but there is no greater joy available to you than following Jesus wholeheartedly. And, and every word of that sentence I need you to hear. There is no greater joy available to you than following Jesus wholeheartedly. And we'll get to the wholehearted bit in a second. But that's how we start, like treasure in a field, like, you've got, like you stumbled upon riches. And I think many of us trip up, we, we feel joy when we know Jesus for the first time. And then as we mature in our faith, we start thinking, God, this is tough. Eh? Like this whole picking up your cross thing, this is legit. Like you read, Jesus, you read Jesus' words when people realize he's the Messiah. He's like, cool, you got it? Okay, now pick up your cross, die to self. That's, that's, that's the vibe here. I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying it's joyful. Look how he describes in John 15 what it means to follow him. Jesus has just given this amazing sermon about, uh, about abiding in Him, about bearing fruit for Him, about praying according to His Word, about just digging your life deep and being rooted into Jesus. And He says, listen, I've told you these things, spoken these things to you, that your joy, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. How many of us think of Christian maturity like that? How many of us think, oh, I just got to grin and bear it, just got to act like those Pharisees, got to show God how hard it is to follow him. And then, you know, Jesus is saying, dude, if you're missing the joy, you've you've missed the king. You're missing the wedding. Which party are you attending if you're not enjoying it? (laughs) I've spoken spoken to you these things, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That's what it means to follow Jesus. So again, hear this. There is no greater joy available to you then following Jesus wholeheartedly. And, and I wanna be really, really clear here. When I talk about joy, I do not mean irrational, reality denying, let's pretend pain and suffering and death are fun, delusional happiness. That's something Jesus is not talking about. And I'm not talking about that joy. I'm talking about this. I'm talking about deeper, more soul satisfying, more pervasive pleasure of God that cannot be stolen from you as long as Jesus is alive. And as long as Jesus loves you. It's not pretending reality isn't reality. It's not pretending that that you aren't anxious. It's not pretending that you don't feel depressed. It's not pretending that sometimes uh, death happens and you mourn for weeks and years. But there is a deeper joy available to you that circumstance can't touch. Amazing quote here by a guy called uh, R. Kent Hughes. He says, there is a perpetual wedding joy with Christ for those who will have it. But let's pause here for a second. Because how many of us genuinely feel like our lives with Christ are characterized by wedding joy? You you don't need to raise your hands (laughs) to to say anything here, but I love uh, and know enough of you guys to know that not enough of us, if any of us, genuinely feel like following Christ is a wedding party all the time. And so, this passage, if we stop there, this passage is, is not helpful to us. Because if we just pause there, people who feel happy about Jesus walk away patting themselves on the back thinking they're great Christians. People who don't feel joy in Jesus walk out of the door feeling, well, I guess I'm not a good Christian then. Because I don't feel that joy. But praise Jesus that that's not where the passage ends. He doesn't just give a wedding image. He then moves from this powerful image that says, hey, joy is what this party's about. And then he moves to this two really punchy images that are really, really practical. He talks about cloth and talks about wine. And he does this because he's trying to teach us and train us, disciple us how to actually enjoy the wedding that he has for us. So let's look at this next bit. How to enjoy the wedding. And it, this is from verse 21 and 22 and I think they're worth reading again. He says, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth or un, you know, you think of it as uh, in new clothes, you wash them, and sometimes they shrink. That's what he's talking about. So it's, it's unused cloth, it's new. No one takes new cloth and sews it onto an old garment because if you do, the, the new patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If you, if you do that, the wine will burst the skins. The wine is destroyed, so will the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. What Jesus is saying here, he says that a tearing occurs, a bursting occurs. Those are not happy images, are they? The cloth tearing away, the wineskins bursting. He says, that happens when you try to patch me on. That happens when you try to take all the newness that I'm giving you and you try to pour into an old container. Nothing about your life changes, but you just want the newness. None of the life changes. He's like, it isn't gonna, it's not going to work, guys. It's going to burst and you're going to feel miserable. Uh, This quote isn't on the screen, but there's a guy, some of you may know him, uh, a guy called Billy Sunday. I stumbled upon this quote, old American evangelist, early 20th century. And he said, the problem with most people is that they have got just enough religion to make them miserable. That's what Jesus is onto here. You try to patch me on, it's going to tear. You try to take all the newness and and not change how you walk in your lifestyle, it's going to burst. It's not going to work. And for the guys hearing him at the time, they're hearing him challenging the Jewish belief system. He's saying, this is something radical and new happening here. I can't just be patched onto Judaism. This is a whole new way of following God. And for us, he's doing the same thing here. He's saying, it doesn't matter what background you come from. It doesn't matter if you come from a Jewish background, a Muslim background, an agnostic background, an atheist background. It doesn't even matter if you were raised in the Christian faith and you think you've ticked all the boxes. If you try to patch him on, it's going to tear. If you try to pour newness into an old way of life, it's going to burst and you'll end up with just enough of Jesus to make you hate life. That's why I said earlier, there is no greater joy available to you than following Jesus wholeheartedly. Half-heartedly is going to lead to tearing and bursting. Because Jesus has a power that the old can't contain. (laughs) I love these images, that the new just devastates the old if the old doesn't change with it. The new's got a power the old can't contain. And so Jesus says, new wine is for fresh wineskins. So, so hear the call of God today, please. The call of God is for you to have a young mind. It's for you to have a childlike heart. Because you've seen kids, they don't, they don't mind changing their ways sometimes. They love finding new things and just running with it. But it's only sometimes when we grow old, when we grow but mature in our faith, that we think nothing can change anymore. This is how I've been doing it. This is how it's got to be the call of Jesus in this passage is just to have a mind like an elastic band that, that can, just, it can just stretch and it can always follow Jesus into something new. And I want to I help you land this in your heart because I think that the theory is one thing, but learning how to locate what God's doing in our heart is another thing. So I'll ask you this. Where in your life do you feel something's tearing? And where in your life do you feel something's bursting? Where in your life do you feel that, that discontent, that, 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 where you've got just enough of God to make that part of your life miserable? <laughs> where do you feel that? Because that is the place that God is putting His finger on and saying, hey, here, that is where I want to pour my newness, but you're not holding it in a new way. That point of bursting is where God's like, I, I, don't, I don't just want to be patched on here. I want to give you a whole new garment. Think of that place where there's bursting and tearing because I genuinely believe that's where God's saying, I want to bring wedding joy to that place in your life. I want to pour my newness into that container in your life. And I'll give you an example that I hope will help you locate it by the Spirit in your own heart. My first year and a half in England, I didn't enjoy it at all. I missed my family, I missed my friends, I missed Parkhurst, and more than all of that, I felt, like I, was miss, I felt like I'd missed out on what God was doing in my life. I felt like, what, what am I doing in this weird country where I can't pronounce anything? Like, so I was, was part of something God was doing, and now I feel like I'm in a different place, and I'm missing the work of God. I just felt discontent. I felt that tearing happening in my heart, and I thought, this is, this is not good. And every time I took that to God, He just hammered me with the same verses. I'll, I'll paraphrase Psalm 37, verse 3 and 4. Every time I took that discontent, that anger to God, I was just like, I don't, I'm not, this doesn't feel right, God, something's wrong. He just kept hammering with these verses. He said, trust in God and do good. Live faithfully where you are. Delight yourself in God and he'll give you the desires of your heart. But I was stuck in my stubbornness. And I said to God, "Mm Like, well, I'll be back in South Africa soon. This is just a weird detour. Like, we'll be back. And God was like, mm-mm, live faithfully where you are. Root yourself here. Delight yourself in God. Don't delight yourself in where you used to be, who you used to be. You're in a new place. You've got to live in a new way. And it was only when I sort of, I gave up. I don't know how else to put it. I sort of said, fine, whatever God, like, I guess I'll do your thing. That that I relented from my stubbornness, that I felt God pour in a newness and a joy that I hadn't experienced in a year and a half. 18 months of just feeling like, "Mm -mm mm-mm-mm. I felt God pour in a newness as I said, okay, I'll, I'll I'll step back from stubbornness and, and trust that you know what you're doing. And so here's the question for you. Where in your life is God challenging your stubbornness? Where are you stubbornly sitting with that tearing feeling and thinking,
1: Mm-mm,
0: like, God, you better change because I'm not going anywhere. Where are you stuck in your stubbornness? Is it, in, is it maybe how you're approaching your singleness? Is it how you're approaching parenting or marriage or, or work? Is it how you think about your, your bodily image, how you relate to money? Is it about how you relate to church? Is it about how you relate to God? I don't know. I can't, I can't think of every example in your life, but I, but I really feel that God is saying, that point of tearing, that point of bursting, that is God saying, hey, here is where I want to work. So think about that and, and, <laughs> and, and listen to the Holy Spirit say, invite you to say, hey, this newness God wants to give you, are you going to hold it in a new way? Where are you going to sit in your stubbornness? And he, and he does this, God does this, because he loves you and wants you to receive the joy. He wants you to feel like following him is like the best wedding you've ever been to. He's a, it's an invitation to joy out of your stubbornness. I want to close with, a, with an image here. Uh, my grandfather is an amazing man. I love him to bits. He's a godly guy. He's terrible at technology, terrible. So he's, he's in Durban. Uh, and my mum my is here in Joburg, and her siblings are in the UK. So they're trying to video call him. They haven't been able to see him really since COVID. He's in an old age home. So uh, they try to video call him all the time. <laughs> but he hasn't worked out that a video call, he doesn't work, hasn't worked out that a phone can also be put like this, so that it can be a video. He's just trapped like this. So whenever they video call him, all they see is his ear. Okay? Poor guy. Um, but the, and they keep saying like, hey, hey, dad, cha- change, just change it a little bit and you'll get a much better experience of this thing. And, and my mum told me a story the other day and I thought to myself, A, that's hilarious and I'm sorry for my granddad. Um, B, isn't that what we're, so many of us are doing with faith? That we're just, we're stuck with a mediocre experience of Jesus because we don't want to follow him to a new thing. He's saying, hey, there's, there's more for you when you hold it in a new way. We're thinking, "Mm -mm, I'm fine just here. I I know this is safe. I know this. I'm not going to do the new thing. God is wanting to give you something new. God is wanting to give you wedding joy in your faith. God's trying to pour new wine and give you new clothes. But are you going to open your minds and your hearts? Are you going to follow the Holy Spirit to receive that? Will you hold this newness in a new way? I want to leave you with these words of Jesus. New wine is for fresh wineskins. New means new. Let's stand together, please. Yeah, and let's, let's pray. If you want to just lift up your hands to God, you just respond as you want to respond here. God, I, I, I just know that we need you. We need you to help us respond. God, we're so stubborn. So, I'm so stubborn. And I, and I need to hear the gracious invitation of your spirit to say, hey, there is, a, there is a party happening, but it means that you're going to live new. Holy Spirit, help us to follow you into something new, something that is joyful. Help us to follow you into this new wedding joy. I'm going to ask three groups of people to respond. Uh, the first group, if you are hearing the wedding invitation for the first time or for the hundredth time, but you've never said yes, I'm going to say to you, respond today. Don't wait. Don't put it off. Say, yeah, Jesus, I, I say yes to you. I put my faith in you. I want to follow you. Second group of people are those who feel like they've, they've known the wedding joy before, but they've walked away from the party that's you, I want you to, to respond as well and explain what we're going to do. And the, the third group of people, I imagine there's a lot of us here, who that, that stubbornness, we, we feel that. We feel that tearing in our life. We feel that bursting. And we're saying, God, I, I want newness, but I just don't know, how to, I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to live in you. And I want to follow your invitation to hold your new wine in a new